Good morning, good morning, good evening, wherever you guys may be. Um, happy Sunday. Happy, happy Sunday. S- oh my God. It's already Sunday. I feel like the month is going very, very, very fast. This entire year is yeah. flying. Oh my God. Sussex Squad Nation. Happy Sunday. How are you guys doing? Um, Sussex Squad Nation. We are how many days away to the coronation? Uh, we are just over 40 days away. Oh, um, my goodness. TikTok. Wow. So how are you guys feeling? Exhausted. Charles and, and George. <laughs> I second that emotion. <laughs> Utterly exhausted. It's been a really a fantastic week. It really has been. There's nothing to complain about, but it's just been exhausting. Certainly. Do tell. Well, as you know, we actually just not too long ago got back from Canada. Yeah, yeah, Canada. Oh, yeah. Canada. Guess who else was in Canada? Our president, huh? I was going to try to come up with something funny, but I couldn't think of it fast enough. <laughs> you guys know exactly what I'm do it in the clutch. There's a lot was going on in Canada. Oh, my goodness. And not to mention, our boy, it's number one in Canada. Yeah, he's still. This is yeah, true. According to the Toronto Star, Spare is still number one. And thank you for the intro. So here's basically what's going on for both uh, our lovely people, Harry, as well as Megan. So as Lady Sussex mentioned, so Harry is still number one, according to the Toronto Star, in uh, as a bestseller book. Uh, he's still number two for the New York Times bestseller. So all of those things are great. So Spare's absolutely still crushing it. And this is quite a long time. So he's um, yeah, everyone's very happy about it. And actually... We listened to the book uh, actually on our way up to Canada and our way back because it's quite the long trip. So, and I have to say myself, I found it really uh, great. I thought that he was very compelling. I thought he was a really great speaker and just the tonality and his the inflection and the way that he read his his own story was uh, really captivating. I, think, I thought he did a really great job. Wasn't it? I got to say, I also very much appreciated listening to his rendition of uh, Elton John, his <laughs> song, so... Yes, we got to hear some more of Harry singing. I think that it was special. It well, really was for me. It was very, very emotional listening to him. I'm still emotional about it. I mean, sorry, my voice is sort of cracking a bit because it's been like what forty eight, whatever hours with no sleep. Still, I don't more know why that. do I do that more to myself. That. I don't know why you do it to me. I can I could not do it. I, I I literally have a limit, and then once it's there, like you know. Hard drive shuts down. Not, nothing else is happening. And to, to everyone listening, the when she says, when Lady Sussex says that she's not been sleeping, it's literally not. Uh, it's not a joke. It's literal. <laughs> she's she somehow manages to just work pretty much c- constantly. And so Charles and I try to emulate it as best we can, but it's it's hard to keep up with oh, her sometimes. Okay. Yeah, with with a very little caffeine, as a matter of fact. Just enough very, about, very enough little, about me. No, it's, it's it is pretty incredible. It is pretty incredible. So I will go to the next thing, though. Mm-hmm. So our boy actually was on National Geographic Explorer on Car SOS, which is a show there. And uh, it was actually quite nice because there was actually a gentleman who was uh, an armed service um, person and he actually he's gotten injured and uh harry actually came onto the show and actually expressed you know his goodwill and how much he was actually rooting for him and really tried to encourage him and the guy actually was really choked up about it so it was really it was just it was a great illustration about who he really is as a person and really how much he cares about these wounded vets so that was great it's good to see 
the next thing actually is out is actually, uh, if you remember, maybe three weeks ago, uh, there was uh, he had the conference for Uplift. Correct. And Correct. so with that, um, we had mentioned actually, uh, George had mentioned that they're going to actually have up some video clips in order to, if you hadn't, uh, had intended to actually miss it the first time. So they're actually out. So they're now available. So please go to the site, check it out, do as you like. I will say on that note, those the the part that we were able to watch, we didn't actually catch the whole thing. But uh, and and excited to that they're out available now to go and, and watch the ones that we missed. But to anyone else who didn't get a chance to watch it, we'll say that what we did see was really incredible, and it's definitely worth the the time to just go and watch it and to think about what does it really mean to think about mental health proactively. Um, especially given where we find ourselves as a society. So, uh, or even business, even being in business, especially as a woman, especially, I think it was incredible. Exactly. especially in the context of business and especially in the context of, uh, us trying to, as a society, overcome these historical gender barriers. Wonderful. And, and then last but not least, um, I, again, I've spoken to it now twice and, you know, one week in a row. And so what we have is that everyone's familiar with, um, the Harvest uh, Center that it's uh, Megan, Harvest Home. Yes, Harvest Home that actually Megan went uh, for International Women's Day. A Duchess. They want us to say le- less of um, Megan. We need to say Duchess. Sure. Yeah. Our Duchess. Mm-hmm. So as you remember, when she went to Harvest Home, uh, she had that really nice black outfit and she happened to have a very nice Chanel bag. Well, if you liked it, um, as we know, Lady Sussex certainly liked it because how much she loves talking about Chanel bags. Uh, too bad. It's all sold out. So I, I don't know if I love talking about. It's just I love the bag. So now it's sold out. Now my dream is over. You need to find a new Christmas Hopefully gift was, for to add to your that, list. That's like 12 months from now, no? 12 how many months? months? 12 months. Well, right months. Back. that means it would still be in <laughs> December. What are you talking about? So, oh my God! I mean, not quite, not Christmas. quite that long, but yeah, you got you. You do have some time. And so, what else is going on? Um, I mean, there is a big news that we literally hit two thousand subscriber. This is freaking me out. It's unbelievable, honestly. It, it is freaking me out. I mean, literally, it is freaking me out. I don't understand it. I don't get it. There is two thousand people listening. <laughs> That is kind of true, but it's what freaking you out in a good mean? way, though. It's freaking you out in a good way. Yeah. Well, yes. Nervous. You know, sort of a sense of responsibility, right? For sure. I mean, um, we were just rep- reminiscing the other day about the very first episodes we were putting out. I know. And we were like, wow, 30 people like- watched it. <laughs> <laughs> we were excited about 30. When it get to 100, it was like, oh, my God, it's overwhelmed. And we, I think we stuck at 300, which is what's so incredible. And now here we are. Here we I'm are. I'm like, what? It's hard to believe. And, he, and we can't I, say enough how much we appreciate oh everyone's God. support. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. So thank you so much, um, everyone. Battle with Sussex Squad Nation. I think we're going to add on a new sort of thing on the show. It's to read the comments. I think we should read some of the comments because I think they are so wonderful. And we do read every single comment, guys. Would you say it is like, I mean, it just makes us feel good. It makes us feel supported. It makes us feel like past the time, especially for me, you know, when I just, I need a break from work, you know, I could just focus on 
something else and it's it's wonderful to see so thank you so much for every each comment you guys take your time um to to write so thank you i i, I love it they Keep really it coming, are please they really are incredible and there's you see some of the comments people take really quite a long time they put a lot of thought and effort and and to share their perspective and their background their experience and it's a lot of times it's uh it's um it's it's honestly, it's just great because it helps us to think and think about things that we perhaps weren't thinking of or just to Lady Sussex's point, the affirmation, the support, the love that we feel uh, makes really a huge difference. No, I definitely concur. Uh, although I will say there has been quite a lot of mention this past week about my cake situation. Mm, so I'll just simply cake, say the lemon cake, the, the, the famous infamous at this point, lemon cake situation. Um, fine. Taken all of your feedback to heart. I shall try this cake at some point. Should someone be willing to bake it? Because if I make a cake, it will not be good. So I just okay. go ahead and put that out there. Sussex Nation, you hear it but first. Not, I will. He's I will try willing it. to try it. I wonder if it was because of the comment that um, which one? There was literally like fifty of them. All admonishing me for my... Well, the, th the thing wasn't even just about admonishing you, although there were some, certainly, who, who rightfully did so. But really, a lot of the comments were uh, for us, because we are much more of the cooking uh, rather than the baking uh, persuasion. And so uh, we were advised by a number of people that nearly all cake recipes have oil. And so <laughs> this is true. This is true. Which also, I didn't I mean, actually think about. Wasn't that. thinking about that myself. Either, yeah, that's, that's so. actually very true. Almost all cake recipes do have oil. Just like every cake has eggs. This is well. true. This is also very true. And you do eat cake. <laughs> I eat a lot of cake. <laughs> okay, that's true. Um, yes. Yeah, so we'll take some of to Lady Sussex's point. We don't have time to read everyone's comments because there are so many and they're so wonderful. But we do want to take each Sunday a selection of them to share some of the ones that we love. Some of them, um, and some of them, uh, this first one, um, made us tear up a bit just because we're just thinking about everyone who listens and who cares and, and what it means to be a part of this community really. Um, so this first one is from Rosemary Patterson and she wrote that she's, uh, from the fellowship Baptist church. And this was actually in response, I think to last week's uh, closing song. And she wrote founding pastor Rev Clay Evans. I was baptized there when I was seven years old. During the civil, civil rights movement of Reverend King, this was the headquarters in Chicago. This has always been the culture of fellowship. I'm now 74 years old and still a warrior. It's in my DNA. This young man, who is Reverend Evans' uh, choice to carry on the spirit, power in the blood, keep praying. We got this. We got the power of the ancestors with us. Oh, my God. So it was wonderful to, to read that. <sighs> yeah. And another one, uh, just be, to, again, thinking about this time that we find ourselves in and, and uh, how scary it is, but also the, the fact that we need to have faith and to pray and to kind of carry on supporting each other. Um, it was a wonderful comment from Valerie, uh, also on last week's service, uh, that said, I must thank you very much for this. The Uber driver who was driving me said uh, he was upset about the coronation and he was praying for Harry and Meghan's safety. Another driver who's Muslim uh, is praying for the UK, and he too is worried. There is a sense of tiredness, sadness, even desperateness, but we will continue to pray. The day of reckoning is near. God always wins. Let Archangel Michael and his legion surround Harry and Meghan's going out and coming in in the name of Yeshua. 
Whatever they choose to do, we dispatch the heavenly beings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. How wonderful. Truly, it is. And it's so great to, to also just think about, and it's part of our beliefs here in terms of this service, uh, is that it's not really about, oh, here's one faith that everyone has to believe in, but actually this is uh, something that affects all of us. And, um, Absolutely. And we all need to, we all have a, have a role to play. Wow. And we'll do uh, one last one, which will actually be uh, help us in our choice for the the verse that we wanted to call out at the beginning of the service. We'll do it at the beginning, even rather than uh, before the first song. Uh, we've actually seen it a couple times, but this was from Comso also last week, um, and it goes to the heart of why we set this show up the way we did, why we focus on what we do and having the it service. all come from yep, the, the service um, set up the way that it is and really focusing on words. Um, Kemso said, Proverbs 18.21 sums it all up. Thanks for the thought-provoking uh, podcast. And if you read that, Proverbs 18.21, it is that the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. And so it just goes back to how important words are and really understanding what we're, what we're talking about. Yeah, it was really wonderful. And my favorite one, it was that, you know, I cut you guys very often. I interrupt you guys. So no comment. <laughs> so I need to do that less because I don't let you guys finish your comment. So you see, I mean, we even read the bad ones. So. <laughs> No, it wasn't bad. No, it was it was good. So we we love the comments. We Constructive love the feedback. criticism. Absolutely. So thank you so much. Um, we could only get better, right? So um, should we uh, start with the service? Almost. That's right. One one thing we always need to do, just to be very clear, and some of you will get tired of hearing it, but it's important, is that this service uh, that we conduct each Sunday is not about changing anyone's beliefs. It's not about um, forcing you to think the way that we think or to hold the same beliefs that we hold, but it's really about is about asking the questions, um, sharing what we hold to be true, hold, sharing what we hold to be important. Um, and part of that is to really think critically about what's happening in front of us so that we can understand it so that at the end of the day, with that understanding, um, we can help love to truly triumph and the forces of good uh, against the forces of evil. Um, and we just genuinely believe that to do that, we really need to sometimes take a moment to pause and reflect on uh, what's actually being said, what's happening. Thank you so much, George. Let's get the service started. Don't be afraid. We are society. Built on love, built on tolerance, built on love, each other, acceptance. Give them love, give them love. Don't matter what you look like. Don't matter what you believe, but just believe in love. I'm talking to Philly. I'm talking to London. I'm talking to D.C. Paris, Berlin. The bell, the bell, the bells, the bells, the bells. Again, I keep saying I love the bells. Sussex Squad Nations supporters, as we've done every Sunday, I like to kick off the service with four words. And the words for the service this week is Weak, 
strength, coronation, consult. So I like to have an understanding the meaning of those words. Um, and for this week, particularly, I like to start with George. Normally, I will start with you, Charles. Um, so, George, um, can you walk me through the meaning of the word week? Yeah, and sometimes some of the, the most interesting words are the ones that you'd least expect. Um, and I think week, and, and we'll talk about it later on, in combination with strength, there's a lot of interesting nuances for us to think about in the context of where the uh, where the monarchy is today, where the UK is today as a whole, and all of that. Um, but for week specifically, the definition um, that's there's a lot of definitions, but just to pick out two for for illustration, the first one is uh, lacking political or social power or influence, and the second one is liable to break or give way under pressure or easily damaged. Wow, very interesting. And the thing that's interesting about it, to me anyway, is when you think about those um, definitions and examine them, the first one is really about the capacity to affect others, um, that person's influence or that entity's influence. Um, so that's outward. Uh, whereas the second definition is its liability to break or give way under pressure. So it's about how it receives force or influence from uh, from elsewhere. So the that meaning of week both has outward and, and inward meanings. Right. What I find interesting about week is its association with brittle because you can actually have a strong object that is still yet brittle. Hmm. So for instance, you can have, I mean, even like a strong piece of wood. So if you have a really strong or not, or plastic, maybe even better. So plastic can actually have a lot of strength in that, you know, the pressure that's on it, if it's actually coming from either on the top or the bottom or on the sides, actually is quite strong. So it doesn't compress, it's unyielding. But what's interesting is that depending on the type of pressure, it can actually be quite brittle and then break quickly. So it's just interesting in terms of where the force right. is applied, depends on, on how well actually it maintains its strength. Right. For me, I think of... Weak. The first thing that I think, you know, feeling weak, not feeling well, not being able to stand. But I know there is more into that word, which is why I chose it. So, tell me more, George. Yeah. So it's it's interesting both what both of you said because uh, just to go to the next part of thinking about it, its roots, its etymology, um, it comes from the Old English, uh, which basically meant either pliant. Uh, or of little worth, or not steadfast. And so uh, it's an interesting thing to think about if someone is saying something is weak, they may be in effect saying that it's uh, of little worth, not mm. just not just that it's uh, lacking power or lacking strength. And uh, to charge Charles's point, uh, it may be one of those things where it's it can be simultaneously weak as well as seemingly or actually demonstrating power influence in one area. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's not also weak. And I think part of it is still to that idea of, uh, it, the duality of the definition. It's both in that it's both outward and inward. Um, you may have a lot of outward facing power, but if you are pliant, if you are able to easily yield or give way, then that still may mean you're weak. Right. Right. 
what 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 else that you know um can week tell us well i think the the rest of what's kind of comes out what jumps out at me anyway is thinking about week in the as a in the context of what does strength mean and what does strong mean i see i see so is there anything you like to add on um charles no i think that um at this point, it's it's interesting because it's the duality, right? So you have one and how that kind of begets another and how those relationships are formed between those two words. So I think as we kind of move through this conversation, it's going to be interesting just in terms of, you know, how those two things are actually uh, maybe not as diametrically opposed as one may suppose. Mm. Well, I guess we maybe we should now move on to strength, which is most people probably would think maybe they do. That's a big word. I'm sure there's a lot of definition when it comes to that word. So can you walk us through to through the meaning of it? Yeah, and I think the same the same duality in terms of the meaning comes through for strength that you see with weak. Um, and as most people would expect, the first definition is one that's really about physical strength. Um, fair, fairly obvious. Um, the second definition, though, is... Um, Again, that capacity of an object to or substance to withstand great force or pressure. So again, it's not just about your outward-facing uh, powers of exertion or influence. It's also about your ability to withstand pressure. Um, so it's both inward and outward. Um, the definitions didn't jump out as me as much for for strength as the etymology and. Think about the etymology. I mean, it's tied to the word strong. And so when yeah. you, you, you go follow, trace that back, uh, it comes from the old English uh, strang, or strong maybe also, but it's just spelled with an A. Right. Um, and just looking at some comments from uh, a perspective, rather, from Philip Bouchard, who's an educator. He wrote that uh, the word strong comes from the old English strang, and the word hasn't changed much at all in the intervening centuries. The noun form of strong is strength, Notable for having a different vowel, just from a fun word fact perspective. Um, but if you go back even farther than Old English, the, then strong and strength share a common origin with the German word string, with an E now, uh, which means strict or rigorous. Mm-hmm. And so the etymology is uh, maybe different than some might expect when they think of kind of physical strength and how we use that word today, uh, that it's actually, etymologically, it's about stiff, tight, strict uh straight yeah what do you mean by straight just in terms of the the words that it that it where it came from the meaning of of Mm -hmm. the the, its root words it wasn't just about um sort of the uh, great capacity to exert force or to to withstand force but actually more of this sort of stiff tightness strict uh straight meaning yeah it's almost uh moral strength if you think about it so right. it's it's being unyielding. So you're very strength uh, strict with your beliefs. Uh-huh. So you're very strict with it. You're very stiff in terms of kind of your personality, in terms of, okay, well, this is kind of, you know, what you would actually classify as being um, kind of morally just. Right. And so that's where you found your almost inner strength. Mm-hmm. And so I can kind of see how that would kind of spawn from 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 where that is. And then obviously it's, it's also um, the irony is not lost coming from more of that kind of moralistic place from a very um, kind of church bound kind of philosophical place into yeah. something, you know, what it yeah. now needs yeah. kind of synonymous with power. Right. Right. Mm. right. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, so just to take those two words kind of further, because part of what I was saying before, what's interesting to me anyway, is they're in a relation of them um, in that they're sort of antonyms, not quite antonyms. Sometimes they can actually both exist at the same time. Um, but really just to think about it in the context of the UK and, and in the monarchy and I mean, states generally. Um, and there's this really interesting paper um, by Evan Lee B. David Heiser. Uh, it's called Strong States, Weak States, The Role of the State in Revolution. Yep, 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 yep. So, um, won't bore everyone with the full <laughs> full abstract anyway, but just we'll read slash paraphrase some of the excerpts uh, so we can talk about them. Um, she writes, and I think it's she, I'm assuming, um, perhaps one of the most misunderstood relationships in the study of political development is that between the strength of the state and revolution. Both logic and a substantial body of theory indicate that revolution should only emerge where states, and specifically old states, are too weak to prevent it. If revolution is broken through old structures, the state must have been weak, being the idea. Wow. I would like you to start that again, because that's so good. Can you please? Sorry. Sure. I know they like to say not to interrupt you guys, but please. Study it again. That it was so good. Yes. So, uh, this is Evan Lee B. David Heiser. She writes, uh, Perhaps one of the most misunderstood relationships in the study of political development is that between the strength of state and revolution. Both logic and a substantial body of theory indicate that revolution should emerge only where old states are too weak to prevent it. If revolution is broken through old structures, the state must have been weak, would be the idea. Wow. Incredible. She goes on to say, observation leads, however, so historical observation and this analysis that she conducted, that observation leads to the counterintuitive conclusion that strong states, not weak ones, are most likely to be associated with revolution. She goes on to argue that strong states are the ones that tend to destabilize sociopolitical life by transforming it. Because part of it, she argues, is that the strong state's high level of autonomy and separation from society, mm -hmm. that, that high level of autonomy inhibits its ability to respond to social forces. So basically by the fact that they're so much farther away and, and so uh, separated from the rest of uh, what's going on in society, they're not as agile in reacting to or adapting to changes. Right, right, right. As we can see going on at the moment, right? Exactly. So... Yeah, it's, it's pretty much on point for, for what's happening right <laughs> Absolutely. now. Well, it's, it's actually very interesting because what it goes back to is actually kind of the original definition and kind of the etymology behind it, uh, meaning stiffed or strict. So when you start thinking about it, is that when you start having these kinds of government that basically are very unilateral in kind of how they want to develop their policy, being like this, you know, you need to behave like this. And they're not actually flexible enough in order to adjust with the times, adjust with basically what's happening in their own societies, that social pressure actually will push against those policies and then therefore mm -hmm. actually break and cause a revolution, which is actually quite interesting. Very, and you, very Something interesting. you could actually draw parallels actually from here in America as well as in Britain. Exactly. Right. And the, the other parallel that – or not parallel perhaps, but just a kind of uh, example of that that shows how it comes to life is just even from listening to Harry describe the meals at Balmoral and that there was this overly strict and rigorous measure you're, where you put your plates with a, a ruler – uh, right. affair when they were all when the full family was sitting down to dinner and it's very clear that that idea of 
that that strength, that rigorous adherence, that strict uh, and stiff uh, operation would necessarily result in being separated from the realities of how most of society is living. Um, but just to return to Evanly, she writes that uh, the situation for states uh, ends up reaching a crisis, and in, in her context, she's talking about what precipitates revolutions, mm -hmm. um, that it reaches a crisis when severe economic pressures arise because they act as triggers. Say it again, say it again. The situation being in her and what she's talking about in terms of revolutions uh, reaches a crisis when severe economic pressures arise mm -hmm. because they act as a trigger. Right. And she goes on to write about how there's uh, examples from, from the analysis that she did in terms of Russia, Germany, and Sweden. And she writes, in all three cases, rapid economic transformation followed by severe economic pressures presented conditions conducive to major socio-political change. Wow. And how two of those examples witnessed revolution from the left and right, respectively, and one as being Sweden uh, is the counterpoint where revolution failed to materialize. Mm -hmm. But what struck me about that argument uh, or that analysis that, that Evan Lee puts forward is that it's the combination of strong states who are uh, effectively isolating themselves from the reality of society combined with rapid economic transformation and then severe economic pressure that produces the, the situation in which major socio-political change can occur. Yeah, yep, yeah, yeah. And so you take that to the UK right now. I mean, think about, it wasn't too long ago we had Brexit. Uh -huh. There's a ton of economic pressure, uncertainty. I mean, look at the, the effects of the war in Ukraine. Um, all of those factors, and we're now entering the, the final stretch before a coronation. And so it's, it seems ripe for socio-political change. Absolutely. Well, also what's interesting is like you take those examples and then you also take the examples from like the leaders of like the prime minister, like Boris Johnson, and how detached he was from just overall yep. kind of the population. When basically one of the reasons why he's out on his ear is because he held those stupid parties during the middle of COVID. And so he went through and literally was having like these – riotous affairs over at 10 Downing when everyone else basically hadn't seen their loved ones in like, you know, 10 months. And just again, how we are alleging, right? No, this is, this is, this is, on, this is on record. This is on I, record. I, I, okay. And this I, is, this is, this stated as the reason why he got kicked out. Okay. So but I will um, allege that just in case. Okay. So you have that. And then also, uh, even the current prime minister, one of the, uh, one of the things that actually he's been kind of caught up in a row about is that, uh, again, given the fact of what's going on from a social perspective and the fact of, um, you know, from an economic perspective, there's a lot of struggle in, in England right now. And yet one of the big things that he was wanting to do is actually he got, um, if I'm not mistaken, and I'm pretty sure I'm, I, I've read this correctly, is that he actually went through and had um, – the regulations regarding his home changed in order to um, allow for a pool in his house. So he went through and basically there's a thousand different things this guy could be doing in order to help the British population. But what he was spending his time doing is actually changing building regulation codes in order for him to get a, a, a pool in his home. And you're like, okay, well, look, again, you know, people who are just, again, detached from what's going on in their communities and basically what's going on with their constituents in order to help prompt social good. And here they are doing basically flouting their, their influence and power. Wow. 
what else what else what else strength um tell us yeah, so I think the the final place where my mind went, and this is again with the help of Philip Bouchard, was thinking still about what we've now been talking about, the relationship between weak and strength. Um, and this uh, this thought offered by, or Philip Bouchard, really information offered by Philip Bouchard, is that um, the Greek word for weak is actually a dynamo or a dynamo. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right, but a dynamo is how it's spelled. And it literally means without power. Uh-huh. And that's because, and it translates even through in terms of our word, our English word for power today, which is dynamic. And it comes from that same root in terms of what is the meaning, uh, what is power actually. Uh, and so if you think about that in the context of just what we've now been discussing with strength and how it actually may not be, uh, something that is uh, effective in terms of retaining power because it ends up separating you from reality and it's overly rigorous and strict and stiff. Uh, the opposite of that is something that's dynamic, that is able to react and respond and adapt, and that is where power truly is. Um, and so just, again, the thinking about the next 40 days leading up to the coronation, thinking about what the monarchy has been, thinking about where the UK is right now, the difference between saying you have strength versus saying you have power. Wow. Wow. So we move on to our next two words, coronation and consort. So what are those two words tell us? What is the meaning of them? What is, what, what is it a coronation? Yeah, they're, they're actually both interesting as well. Um, so coronation, first and foremost, is the ceremony of crowning a sovereign or a sovereign's consort. Okay. Quite the literal definition. From corner, or which means to crown, adorn with a garland, is actually kind of the root of it. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of some of the history behind it, uh, the coronations actually emerged from a European tradition of increasing the church's involvement in the state. Hmm. As well as the need to bring stability that often violates societies in which severe, uh, several individuals had a claim to the throne. Central to the ceremony is actually the unction, which is the act of anointing a monarch with holy oil. And that's okay. actually quite interesting. And then there's actually a little bit I want to read here, just in terms of uh, it gives a, a, a good summation, just in terms of the three elements that's actually involved in a coronation. Right. Okay. So it's actually it's a titled The Coronation and the Monarchy. It's from H.S. Nicholas. Uh, it actually appeared in the Australian quarter, uh, Quarterly, and actually it appeared way back in 1953 um, right. for Elizabeth, actually okay. Elizabeth II. The Majesty. Her Majesty. Mm-hmm. So as I mentioned, there's three things that actually it makes up. One is which the unction. The other is uh, the uh, enthronization. And lastly, you have the oath. Mm-hmm. So the unction actually is which signifies the supremacy of religion and the life of the state. Okay. And it entitles, in this case, the king to emblems in which only a king can wear. Okay. So it's quite literally by God, Mm -hmm. right? So the oath at which he will accept the obligations of the constitutional monarch and the, enthroniz- uh, the enthronization, which is quite the tongue twister, the enthronization at which the, the, the king wears a crown, uh, imperial, having put on the crown of St. Edward's, at which uh, he will receive the homage and fealty of the Lord's spiritual as well as temporal. 
Okay. So those are actually the three distinct things. But what I find actually quite interesting in that is basically the the combination. Because as an American, you actually distinctly almost kind of repel against it. You know, there's a distinct thing between church and state. That's why basically folks left England in the first place. Um, so we have this in our heads that these two things must be different. Uh, but they are inextricably linked and with evidence here just at the very, very beginning of uh, of your coronation, of your actual reign, is literally you shaking hands with, you know, God and king, making sure that those two things are actually synonymous in one single person. So I think that's uh, – one, it's just a unique perspective from an American's point of view. Uh, but also I could see how that gets into a little bit of trouble because now at this point what you have is that you have one which basically we had talked about even last week about how – their majesty basically has to be the uplift of social incise in society's kind of mm-hmm. ideals. Like they are basically, you know, who you reach to. This is basically um, who really represents you quite literally on the global stage and, you know, what people kind of think of when they think of the British. But what I also find now interesting, having read this and spent a little bit more time, is that actually you from a spiritual side as well. Right. So even more from a political, but also from a spiritual side, how these people act is, again, a way in which those who are faithful should also emulate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And given current events, that's kind of crazy. <laughs> it's definitely crazy. Uh, the, and I, it was, it's remarkable to hear it, and I think to your point, it's because we have the background of uh, Americans that think about things a little bit differently in terms of where we place our value and what we believe. Um, but it had been something ringing in my head of if he's already being referred to as the king, he's already the king. He has been ever since his mother passed. What is actually the point of the coronation? And so it gets to what you're just saying that the fact is it's about their claim to legitimacy because of this divine mandate, because they are ordained by God. That's sort of the, the actual manifestation of that, that legitimacy in terms of, why they can make that claim because they have, and that's the ceremony that basically brings that to life. Well, that's the reason why that, you know, I choosing um, those words because I wanted to have like an understanding what is behind the coronation. As you say, George, that, you know what, if he's already king, then is it just ceremonial, but then what, what it, what, what is the meaning behind it? And so I wanted to have a much better understanding. Maybe perhaps I'm the only person that doesn't, know the full meaning of it but so i wanted to get in into that particularly um coordination word no i think it was very healthy because i didn't know that and the thing that the to your to your point that where even beyond that idea of what was the point of it in, in and of itself for charles but the fact that i didn't actually realize until we were having this conversation that the coronation Actually, and if you, you can see it on Royal.UK's own website, their their page that they have up for the for the coronation itself, is that it's referred to as the coronation of the king and the queen consort. It's mm-hmm. not just that the king's being uh, has his coronation and she happens to be his his wife, and so she's becoming the queen slash queen consort. The fact is, she also, even though she's just his wife, she's not the one ascending the throne, but she is also receiving that. Uh, that unction that <laughs> I wonder the if that's is. the reason why that you know she well based on what's reported 
allegedly that, you know, she wants to be called queen after the coronation, which we're going to get into later. So is there more that we need to know or should we move on to consort? Uh, I think it's time to move on to consort. Okay, great. Wonderful. So what is the meaning of the word consort? Because I wanted to see what the difference is. Sure. So the big thing for me, and I'll give you first the definition, it's defined as a wife, husband, or companion, in a particular, the spouse of a reigning monarch. So there okay. you go. So basically, it's the spouse That's of it. a monarch. That's basically what it is. Mm-hmm. But the thing that I found actually quite interesting is that I didn't actually put two and two together, um, is that actually there's... There, there have been men, male consorts. And as a matter of fact, actually, yeah. Philip, um, you know, yeah. the blessed queen's husband, actually was a, was a consort as well. He was the prince consort. So mm-hmm. um, I just never put two and two together. That's just the way that it was. So I find I actually found that quite interesting. There's actually been three uh, male consorts and I believe six from um, women uh, queen consorts as well. So uh, – so, yeah, so it's just a, a very interesting thing just in terms of kind of uh, how when you start going back in history, how things have cha- kind of changed over time and then also how they kind of blend because it's really much more about the monarch, whomever that is, and basically who they drag along is more or less kind of who's going to be referred to as that consort. Just when I think that, you know what, you're the British guy, <laughs> that I need to go to for all these questions and you yourself don't know because you are, you know, American um you're English American. It's definitely helped me brush up on my uh, my Britishness. That's that's definitely true. Absolutely. So so now the difference here, uh, the difference between the queen and the queen consort is that a queen ascends the throne through succession. Right. So she is the legitimate queen from mm-hmm. as an heir. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, a queen consort is a wife just simply of the reigning monarch. She basically got there as as a wife as a spouse. Right. Um, the queen consort is the wife of a reigning king and usually shares her spouse's social rank and status and holds the feminine equivalent of the king's monarchical titles and may be crowned and appointed, much more just like George had mentioned. Um, but historically, and this is the important thing, she does not formally share the king's political or military powers unless the occasion acting as a regent, which basically he's checked out. So that's actually kind of the distinction. So another the distinction way, is wait, that wait, wait, she, this is very important. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. I know I like, they said not to interrupt you guys, but this is, this is big. I, you just make a statement just a minute ago that she could only insert her power. Are you saying if something happened to the... No, no, no. Queen? No. So basically, no, no. Basically, this is just, it's, she was declared as a regent for him, but basically that's not going to happen. Basically what would, what would go through is that the way that the succession goes is that whenever Charles and, you know, heaven forbid anything happens to him, like she had nothing to do with it. Okay. (laughs) Like it goes straight to William. Thank you very much. You know, Mm -hmm. you know, they're basically shown the door. That's just kind of the way that it is. Just steps right in that line of succession and then off they go. Maybe. So she, yeah, right. But that's basically how it's currently structured and set up. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but the interesting thing is that at this point, basically, she really has no political or military power. She's basically just hangs out there as the spouse. Um, and then all kind of monarchical titles or, or the power that's associated with those uh, still kind of reside and retain within Charles. Now, the interesting thing that we can talk about later is that how could her influence shape those anyway? 
Well, it's that, but it's also the fact that she's going to demand to be called queen after the um, coronation. And so is that in part of a play, part of a, uh, a, an attempt to not simply be queen consort and not simply have the authority and status in, in name only, but also to have some of the, the powers and um, and authorities of the shared with, with Charles. So maybe I mean, the fact that she's saying, I want to be called this and not that makes you wonder why. I think, Absolutely. yeah, I think that there's definitely a, um, she has signaled that she's certainly willing to step up to the plate for sure. So that's all I got for definitions guys. Thank you so much, Charles. Um, let's get into the good part. I know Sussex, right? I know the most, the most like, you know, come on, <laughs> Lady Sussex. Let's get to the good part. Well, we are getting to it right now. So we talk about strength and weakness. How do we lead and how do we lead to power? And we talk about what gives the crown its authority. As well as who is going to share it, right? So my question to you both, Charles and George, and as well as the Sussex Squad Nation, based on everything that is happening now, is it fair to put this question out or at least me asking the question, has this thousand year old crown lost the power to rule. So I think it's an interesting supposition. I think because if you say the crown, you depersonalize it. So you take it away from basically the one who actually wields this power. And I think that's the crux of the issue. The crux of the issue is, does Charles have the strength and fortitude and power to wield this crown effectively. And I think it's pretty dubious. Based on what we've been talking about, based on the evidence that we've seen, I can't say that he may he, he is his own man and his decisions are his alone. I can't say that he is not being bullied. I can't say that he has the backbone and conviction to stay by what he thinks is right. That is your opinion, of course, right? This is 100%. speculation. And no, it's 100% my opinion. Right, right, right. And not speculating at all. I'm just simply saying it's my opinion. That's how I kind of have seen the tea leaves fall. That's okay. All. Okay. What about you, George? It's interesting. And I, the... Charles's point about separating the the crown from the person kind of struck me because so much of their efforts seem to be fo so focused on equivalizing them that this royal family is mandated by God and that they are there because they're meant to be there. It's it's that almost that they're inseparable. And I think it's interesting because you think about Elizabeth, she for many people I think they would say that she embodied the crown. That she did such a she did such a good job of not just of being the crown in, incarnate almost, and so it's interesting the 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 difference with where Charles seems to be, um, and it's 
don't know. There's, I think there's a lot to talk about with the question, so I'll let you go m- more through some of the, the that context. But the thing that struck me about even <laughs> even the question is that when you look at the situation today, it does not look like a, a monarchy that has been around for a thousand years. It doesn't look like something that's been that storied and that powerful and that enduring. It, it doesn't give you that uh, vibe at all. At least from everything that we know from history, right? Um, like because for me. From what we know, even from what Prince Harry, the Duke of Sussex, have seen, his father, King Charles, is a very smart man. And he's desperately been waiting to be king for the last 70 years, correct? Almost 70, yeah. So what I don't understand is, How is now we seem, we seem to be watching this man to be so wickening? Almost like a sitting duck. So again, this is where, like I'm trying to make sense of it all. What do you guys think that is wickening him? What is happening? Yeah, I think what is weakening him i think that he needs guidance he's been looking for guidance i think that he is so used to having his courtiers and others basically shape what he thinks what he does how he acts what he behaves and i think the title and his position has almost choked his individuality out of him Mm -hmm. because it's difficult for him to actually make a decision. And the thing is, is that sometimes the decisions of who he wants to be as a person Mm -hmm. and what he needs or feels he needs or is instructed to be as a prince slash king now are very, very different. Right. And I don't know. At least it, like this is what it seems like. It seems that way. Right. And I don't know if if he's able to rectify that situation, if he's able to kind of equivalize those things. I think one of the really enduring strengths of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth is that she was able to do that. You saw no separation between who she was as a person and how she behaved as a monarch. Right. She was she was just her. She was the queen. Period. Full stop. Mm-hmm. And no one messed with her. Like what she said that basically, yeah, okay, well you may have some influence. You may actually decide to be able be in a position to actually, you know, share an idea with her, but you never got the thought. Even if it may have been the case behind the scenes, but you never got the thought that you know what? That was somebody else's call. Like it was like, there's some things that basically, okay, well, there's some things that kind of strained, like, I mean, uh, just one example that kind of comes to memory was when Diana died, mm-hmm. everyone knew that they didn't have a great relationship, but she never said anything like three days went by and it always felt that people kind of like had to drag her up into a microphone to say that, you know, her condolences about the whole thing and actually prepare a speech about it. But it took three days and it was probably three days of cajoling and like 
you know, shaping and pushing and doing everything they possibly could in order for her to actually get up to the mic and actually say that, you know what? She's sorry that she's gone. I, I do you, th- do you think it's because that, you know, she thinks of being queen first before anything else. It's like she put that first. She put the crown first. Is that what you tried to say? That you you never know what that woman thinks, what she's thinking at any time. You, you, you just have no idea. I mean, she never, beside giving some speech here and there, you never know what she's thinking, what, what is in her mind, what, is, what are her thoughts, or what is she's actually really stand for. So what are you yeah, trying I mean, to say? Yeah, I mean, it goes back to what George was mentioning earlier. Like, literally, she was the crown incarnate. She was the very definition of what it was to be Her Majesty. And that's just what it was. You, there was no delineation between those two things. There was no Elizabeth and or Queen. There was, like, the Queen, period. And with Charles, I don't get that sense at all. I don't think a lot of people get those, that sense at all. I think that there is very much a, okay, well, this is what Prince Charles slash the king, this is basically what he's up to, what he's doing. This is kind of who he is. He's a very big environmentalist. He does this. He's a very, he's very learned just in terms of being very smart with books and he loves to be educated. He's all these other things. But the first thing that comes out of your mouth when you say Prince Charles slash the king is not the king. Interesting. Your mind goes to, oh, he's all these other things before the king. And with Elizabeth, with Her Majesty, not once. Like, not once. I couldn't even tell you what the queen actually is like outside of being the queen. It's uh, it's very interesting. And I agree with both of you on, on nearly everything you've said. I think the one, not even that I don't, I, the, a disagreement, but perhaps an alternate um, theory of explanation, alternate speculation uh, as to your question, Lady Sussex, which I think is a, the right question to be asking um, <clears throat> about what has left him so weak and what is, why does he seem like a sitting duck? Why is, is he handicapped? And if so, who or what is handicapping him? I think there's a lot of truth to the fact of everything that we talked about last week of his upbringing, his context, who he is that contributing to how he operates and how he makes decisions or doesn't make decisions. Um, and, and particularly how he was both a father and a, um, well, really a father to, to, uh, Harry and William. I think there's, it's worth considering. It's, it's worth, uh, maybe for how to best phrase this. It's worth, uh, for those who are interested onlookers to not immediately rule out or assume that his actions right now are simply because of his uh, faults of his or his inability to make decisions or his uh, being indecisive or any of those things. Just to, to assume that that is purely the cause behind the, the situation in which he finds himself right now in the state of the, the monarchy. I think it is absolutely fair to say, let's, pause, look at the difference between who he is right now, who he was 15, 20, 30, 40 years ago, take into context and consideration what Harry said about how smart his father is, how much he loves his father, uh, how hardworking his father is, what we know about how much he wanted to be king and how much work he was actually doing to be king and to be a good king. Right. And to say, well, if all of that was true, and now we're looking at his behavior today, 
maybe it's not just suddenly that he changed. Maybe there's circumstances around him that have changed, whether it's people or conditions or something that's actually preventing him from being able to do what he wants to do. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, just to get back to what you were saying, Charles, I mean, you know, I get what you said, the difference between the majesty and now King Charles, you know, but obviously it's, it's, it's all about modernize, right? It's about sort of, you know, move the crown forward, right? So, I mean, you would have expect that, you know, um, your king now, especially now in the modern days that, you know, we are in, that you have an understanding what, what they're about, you know, learning a little bit more what they're into versus, you know, from where his mother started to where he is right now. I mean, I'm not so sure if it's fair to compare him. The fact is, is that, you know what, he have uh, idea, he has opinions and somehow that make him less of a king. Because for me, is is that, you know, in fact, that is the problem for me. I'm trying to figure out what happened to this man who once have ideas, who have sort of opinions about things, who once been able to say certain things. And all of a sudden, is is that, you know what, is silent. But yet we hear how hard he's working, that he used to work, at least, that's what we heard, um, that he really wanted this. He had been prepared for this all his life. And then now it just feels like silence, like everything seems to be moving around him, but him. Yeah, I, I, I hear where you're coming from. The only thing that I will retort in that is that while I agree with you, the, the, the means at which communication happens have changed. Um, you know, obviously we have social media, the press, blah, blah, blah. There's, all, there's, there's many different facets and many different tools now that basically they can get in trouble and they can hear a hot mic. They can, you know, there's a much different way and a much different way which people actually consume media uh, in order to kind of shape opinion. And that has certainly changed since when the queen um, first got coordinated herself seven, more than 70 years ago. But at the same rate, they both grew up in the spotlight. They both grew up in front of a mic. And so while yes, that certainly it's not fair to compare the situations ideally, it's true. Um, there is certainly much more um, just information available. Just It just is. There's more papers. There's more, there's more media there than there was in the past. But at the same point, Elizabeth also had the opportunity to share her who she was as a, as a person and as a monarch and as it went on. But the thing is, it just felt that at least for me in my own particular head, it felt that she was just so consistent. Mm -hmm. She just, you know, this is what it is. We believe blah, 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 like very straight in terms of how she, you know, how she conducted herself, her personal life, like all of it was very much geared towards <clears throat> being the queen. And it just feels that, you know, Charles has been kind of like, oh, he's this and this, gone this and this. But he doesn't feel nearly as consistent in terms of who he is and basically living up to that expectation of a crown. I think that's the thing that, that where my head goes is that to Lady Sussex's point, it's maybe not the point to compare them, maybe not to make the emphasis so much for Charles on his consistency and like the emphasis of stability, the role, the, the crown's role in stability because society's changing and perhaps the crown needs to change to adapt and the royal family needs to adapt to 
those changes to continue to be relevant. I think that's a fair supposition. The thing that struck me, especially with last week's service uh, and and the documentary that we had watched beforehand, is that who Charles was leading up to his whatever it was, mid-20s, mid-30s, even 40s, it did seem to be a progression of the role of the crown from what Elizabeth had been. It was a break with consistency, but it seemed like a natural evolution based on what a lot of society had been wanting or expecting uh, from the royal family. The difference is where he is now, what he doesn't do now, compared to what he was doing 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Uh, That's where it makes me wonder if it's not so much just because of his problems or his inabilities or his uh, own faults but really, what is else? What is the other things that have changed in the context in which he lives that have now made that progression that he had been enacting kind of almost come to a standstill? Well, I think actually that's a very interesting point because the conversation now is no longer strictly about Charles, where in the past it was. You know, he did this. This is the outcome. This is what he did as a result of whatever. But the conversation was always about him and in the relationship between him and his family and him being the royal heir and blah, 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 blah. To your point, now it seems diminished. He has diminished. And he is the crown. So therefore, the crown has diminished. So in that, I totally agree with. And to your and also to your point and, and also to you, Lady Sussex, as well, that may not be probably isn't his fault we're going to get into the next question that i have because obviously if you think about it that's the reason why um this service is even existed right this is the reason why the squads are here it's because there's a sense that you know what we've been living under this thousand year old sort of rule or sort of look the way the 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 crown looks right that doesn't representing to a changing nations right and so commonwealth and so we wanted that change and introduced to you know um megan the duchess of sussex a beautiful princess and we feel like okay now they're getting it now they are listening and yet here we are where we find ourselves. And what's so interesting to me is, is that when you hear from what um, the Duchess say and, and, and Prince Harry said, is that, you know, in the beginning, the warm welcome, Hachal was really, in some ways, loving and in and, and love uh, um, Duchess Meghan. And so, what I don't understand is, is that, you know, if this man is as smart as he is, I'm sure that, you know, he will understand and see and looked at Duchess Megan much more as like an ally, as like as something really good for the monarchy. I mean, after all, the majesty did approve the wedding, Right. What changes? And so my next question is, does the media have something to do with that weekend? Because, I mean, just just the thought of it last week, I think we watched the docuseries, one of them um, that called the downfall um, 
of Charles in the media. How should we look at that? To have that that relationship thirty years, forty years? I don't know. It it seems like it's never been repaired, because the way I'm looking at it right now, it doesn't seem like they were protecting him. It doesn't feel like they're protecting him. So please help me here. I mean, am I seeing, should I seen things a bit differently? Should I looked at something different? Because for me personally, right now, who I seen that, you know, was really well covered in terms of like, it's almost like you heard absolutely nothing at all. Nothing that I can see, nothing that, you know, I can, you know, looked at, you know, and said, oh, wow, you know, they're really getting at his wife, Queen Consort. Like, I feel like the person that has been really, really protected, it's her. So, please walk me away from, from the edge right now. No, I think that that's, I think that's it. And honestly, it's funny. Um, for people who follow American politics and Charles, you'll probably have a, a, an example of this where I couldn't offer one off the top of my head, but there's this interesting phenomenon to, again, what Charles was actually just saying a moment ago in modern society with the, the prevalence of media and the prevalence of the ability to be captured or recorded is there are frequently these occurrences where, uh, politicians go about saying what's referred to as the quiet part out loud. Mm-hmm. And so there, there's, I'm sure, tons of examples that I, <laughs> I can't give. Someone can give, but the the idea, anyway, being that there's there's a there's the truth, and then there's the truth that is portrayed in the media. Uh, and unfortunately for those politicians who aren't, uh, maybe unfortunately for them, but fortunately for the rest of us, they slip and actually let the real truth out. They they say the quiet part out loud, and I think that that documentary because it was i mean it's produced by timeline but if you look at who where timeline gets its content it's a combination of both pbs and bbc as well as some others and so that title of that documentary to me anyway is the media effectively telling on itself saying the quiet part out loud that the this the in, in my opinion anyway the difference isn't so much that Charles has changed. The difference is that he was brought down by the media and in the eyes of the media. And that is where he is, finds himself today, where he is so weakened, where he's so unable to speak, to be effective, to be even just the way he is viewed. It is all traced back to that downfall in the media. But why though? Why? I mean, you know, it's not like the media is making the argument for Princess Diana. It's not like they are making the argument for his kids. So it's all about him. So what is exactly the problem the media have with him? Because again, back to early, you make a statement in terms of that, you know what, he needs counsel. He needs someone to speak to. But isn't that exactly the point of having these people that are only, I'm assuming, job is, is to basically giving the king good advice. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly that, like, that is the point. 
But, and again, they've always been there, right? Those, those courtiers have always been around in those kinds of circles for all the monarchs. I think it's just a question of the character of the monarch coming through in terms of what advice he actually is, events he ends up going with. And that's, you know, that's based on, that based on everyone. But I think that what you also have is that um, the media certainly, and you bring up an interesting question, like why has, why is it different? Why does it feel different for everyone? Like who, how do they decide and why do they choose and, and who do they choose to actually go after and for what reason? So to your point, like they've always been on Charles's case and that's just kind of was, and it's been evolving, but you know, Camilla is, has always been absent and like, that's a problem. Like that's just a, like writ large full stop. That's a problem. Like her entire role as the queen consort and as being a part of that family is to be out front. It is to represent. And the fact that you're not actually like even being covered to do that. And the few times that she is, she's not even doing it well. Like that's a problem. Uh, as we were listening to the book uh, in the car down, uh, Harry was talking about kind of when they were at Balmora during Christmas time, the Royal family gathers around the table and I forgot the name of the list, but there's basically a, a list that the paper puts out in terms of um, who does Quite circular. Thank you. The circular. So who actually does the most Royal engagements? It's mm-hmm. a, it's a ranking list right, right. and they all fight for number one. And you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, speculation or, or perhaps cattiness just in terms of what qualifies as a Royal engagement. Right. But at the end of the day, that's what they're judged on. That's what they themselves feel they're judged on. And everyone kind of chases that rabbit. Meanwhile, ergo, Camilla, she's not on that page. (laughs) That is not her bag. So she may go out and do things, you know, with Charles every once in a while. But this lady's not in the press. This lady, I mean, we just watched the interview and, you know, it was a two-minute interview. Two minutes. And literally what what the broadcaster said at the end of it, it was like this is the longest interview she's ever gotten. Well, what? And she- that's just like wild. That's <laughs> wild. It's two minutes, and she's like into this thing. She's been knowing this guy for more than thirty years, and it was like a few weeks ago. It's wild. I think what Charles is referring to, it's you know doing research for this particular service. Um, we, well, I was searching and searching, and find. I wanted to hear what this woman sound like, you know, because if the media is not going to tell us anything about her besides just being a mistress and now that she's queen consort and going to be referred as queen, as we've been told, I wanted to hear her. I wanted to hear something. I want to give her the benefit of the doubt. I don't want to just throw in rocks at this woman you know, I wanted to see, does she have a point of view? And finally, I find a very rare interview with CNN. And I think it was to, um, the interview, it was based on the whole charity thing about um, women that is being 
<clears throat> domestic abuse. But what I find interesting, number one, who chose that for her? Two, who in the world that think it would be a good idea for her to be the representation of women that have been abused? Because one can say or feel that Diana was abused. Absolutely. So I didn't really, and she 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 seems like she didn't know anything. It's there's not something like I mean I think we should let them listen to the interview because I think you guys will understand what we're talking about. What are you able to bring to these sorts of conversations? Well, I'm not sure what I'm able to bring. Um, it's what all these very brave ladies tell me. It's it's seeing is believing or hearing is believing. I think like many other people um, in this country, I didn't know much about domestic abuse. In fact, I knew nothing at all. I read a bit about it. And I think that um, I went to visit um, another charity called Save Lives, where again I sat around and listened to some very brave ladies tell their stories. And I think everybody there was moved to tears and um, and I thought as I came out I thought you know I just wish there was something I could do to, to help. And you were able to coordinate groups, well, bring I, publicity? Well that's, that's what I try and do is to bring everybody together to mm. coordinate them to get them talking so they come up with the ideas. I think we, we can talk it was a taboo subject and I think we can talk about it now and if I can talk about it and bang the drum a bit, so can a lot of other people. So uh, that's what I'm trying to do to help. But again, it's these wonderful people that do the hard work. And my goodness me, I, I do admire them all. They are the most incredible lot of ladies. And you heard the ladies who are talking today mm -hmm. telling their stories. Well, you have to be very brave to stand up and tell, you know, talk about all those terrible things that have happened to you. Mm. Anyway, I can only hope that someday we can make it better. So, again, what point she was trying to make, what was she talking about, and why she was the face and they wanted to make her. And you could see what happened. It never come to fruition because they end up with the whole, you know, sort of awkward thing, the situation that happened with this woman you know, having her hair been touched and then being asked, you know, where you from. So the whole thing ended up being really messed up. So my thing is, were they try to actually sort of make her the face of something? Because if you go and be the representative of, um, what is the word that they use of uh, for when you... The patron? A patron? Mm -hmm. Patron. Patron. <clears throat> if she's going to be a patron of women that was being abused. They even show a picture of her where she's supposedly having these so-called teas. You know, like she, she was tearing up about something. I don't know what that is that she was tearing about, but she was tearing up. And it, it was like, feel like all fabricating. And I feel like, you know, those women, you know, she seems to be talking about or want to talk about that. I've, it just feel like so forced, forced and unnatural. Yeah, I think that's honestly that it gets to the heart of it and it ties it 
perfectly to what we were just talking about before with Charles as well. Her interview demonstrated very clearly that her uh, engagement with that particular organization not only was completely ridiculous, to your point, given where she comes from and what she's done uh, in the past, but that there was no sincerity or authenticity in what she cared about, the fact that she didn't even take the time to learn really about it, and all of her answers were basically saying, oh, well, these other people are going to uh, say the things that matter, not me. That The fact that that's something she said and has gotten away with, and then the fact that the media has not gone and pushed more to learn more from her, to get her to right. talk more, to, Absolutely. to say all of those things, Absolutely. to get her on record, that is the, that's the thing that people need to be paying attention to because you look at that and you compare that with what happened to Charles. <laughs> they literally made a documentary. The media made a documentary called The Downfall of Charles. They've spent all of this time, and, and you look at the net change to each of their reputations over the last 40 years, his reputation, how he is perceived today, which is a direct output of how he is treated by the media, has put him in a very low place, in a very weak place, to tie it back to one of the words of the day, which is very different than what's happened with Camilla, who has not been... Uh, really thoroughly interrogated by the media for better or for worse in terms of what it would be, they've ignored her. And so you asked the question before, Lady Sussex, which is, I think, again, something everyone should be asking, why, <laughs> right? And this goes back to a, a previous episode about power. Either someone who has power works to retain it or someone who doesn't have power works to acquire it. And so if you look at what's happening, why Charles' downfall, it makes you start asking those questions. Well, if he had been in a position of power, he was the heir apparent, who's that who was without power that wanted that power? And honestly, we don't even need to look terribly far. I don't think we'll go into too many details in the because in, this is church service, <laughs> after all. But for those who are interested, they can go and look at a very well-known media magnate who has expressed very pretty clear opinions on his view of the the monarchy and whether or not it should or should not continue to exist moving forward. And so if you couple that with the media's actions themselves, the, the media that he himself owns, uh, it ends up being pretty clear what the end game is. And it's not necessarily just Charles's fault, but actually so something that's changed in the circumstances around him. I, I, I would like to be able to be in a position because I really, I mean, let, let, let me put it very clear. I don't have any problem or issues with any of these people doing what they're doing. My problem is, is that the fact is that, you know, what, they are treating a beautiful princess the way they are treating because they are using this woman. And hide behind whatever it is that they have behind. In the, in the meantime, they are crucify her and her husband, Prince Harry. That is my problem here. Because when you think of this is a prince, a soldier who have served his country and served really well and doing so much for that island. So much for mankind and for anyone to allow 
the media to be doing and the fact that his father is sitting and watching all that and unable to do anything. Because again, even if you looked at it and put, okay, he couldn't do anything as prince. But now he's a king. King. And let's take it a, a little bit further. Now he is going to be the representation of the church, right? He is the church. So let's look at it from a Christian perspective. How should we Christian look at you treating your son, your grandson, and allow them to be vilified and doing everything that you know what they are doing to them? At the same token, asking us that you know what, we need to upset this woman that you make to be your wife. When what history tell us, all she should have been, needed it to be, it just be what the media had said she was, which is a mistress. But now she's moving in this space. This is a modern time. Okay, get it. Fine. I'll take that. I'm not even going to judge him being sort of, you know, the the head of the church, you know, for, you know, what happened. I mean, we actually, like, I'm not here to judge the man. We have to move from one place to the next. We are learning a lot, you know, about the Bible. We are learning a lot about humankind. I get it. But there have to be something remaining true. Well, I think to your point, and it's coming from a good place, but when you think about it, you have to think of it in a place of, and the reason why we're doing this in the first place, right? What got the Sussex squad fired up in the first place was the the treatment that we saw and how Megan and later on Harry was completely thrown to the dogs and the lack of justice around that. And I think you have to pair back in terms of, you know, this element of justice that we seek in terms of the wrongdoing that's been perpetrated upon really wonderful people just by all measures. And then also what that says about the inherent equity that we thought that we had. And it's probably going to be a little contentious, but I'll throw it out. It's an interesting parallel in terms of what we've had here in this country. Because here we had a watershed moment where, you know, we had Barack Obama. There was adulation everywhere. Everyone thought that it, you know, they were even calling it the post-racial society. It was all this big stuff, right? And, you know, personally, I never really bought it just because I've faced too much of it. But that's where everyone's kind of head was, that we we're kind of going this way. And then we had um, what one of our friends affectionately calls the Orange Cheeto who came into office. And this dude, like, eviscerated any hope of like, like racial equity and conciliation, reconciliation and all that other stuff. He really took five steps back and 
it's just interesting in terms of looking at that parallel in terms of, okay, well, what is the, you know, how, how we deal with race in this society has drastically changed since his presidency. And then also looking at what's happened once Meghan Markle and all and Harry and basically that situation happened and kind of how society views their racial past is some it, it, there's a bit of a, an equivalence there because all of a sudden people can look at that as example and say that this is who I thought that we were. We were these people. Megan's came into the family and everyone was thrilled. They were over the moon. Everyone was so happy because it just kind of, again, was this reflection of, okay, well, look, our society has advanced past this dirty, nasty history that we've had. And then, you know, the rug got pulled out from everyone. Okay, where we thought we were, we no longer were. And it just goes back. And then obviously, it's not the fact that all of a sudden the rug was pulled out from underneath, but it was almost like we fell into a gaping hole because we saw not only was she basically done poorly, but the continued trash talking. I mean, just how wretched they treated this woman and still do like and you just see basically this exact is example whereas before you said okay well i have an example of how we've progressed now what you have is this example of how far back we still have to go and i think that the, the orange cheeto had the same effect of basically whereas before we saw that we had a, this statement or this idea of advancement that we're somehow improving a society where in effect basically it's not the case and you just felt, and, and globally, you just felt this um, disappointment about what happened. And specifically against people of color, it was a real, I think, um, coming to terms about, you know, where people thought they were or where you actually believed to be in society. Um, and I think there was just a lot of reflection on that. And then this is basically, and I think as part of this platform and the Sussex Squad generally, this is basically our pushback against that. Of saying that, you know what, this is this is not something that we're going to just stand by and watch. We're not going to be pushed back into the 50s. We're going to take a stand and believe and support the causes that we feel and the people that we feel are just and speak up. And I think that's what we're trying to contextualize. And I think that's what all of this is trying to contextualize is realizing about how much we're trying to to hold back the flood of this discrimination that we face as society at large. So I think that that's, I think it's amazingly put, and I think you're exactly on point. And what you got me thinking of at the end, and this is going to seem initially disconnected, but I promise you it is actually connected was this, um, uh, actually it was a post on social media and it was, I guess he's some design critic or something. Uh, and what he did was he juxtaposed buildings that were created in the twenties and thirties, uh, and he showed them what they looked like compared to buildings that were created in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And I think if Charles were to ever listen to this, knowing what we know about his <laughs> his uh, love of, of design and architecture, he might even enjoy this, this analogy. But the person's point was showing the beautiful buildings of the 20s and 30s compared with the brutalist rectangles that were built in the 50s and 60s and 70s. And his argument that he put with in just a caption of the pictures was, if you wanted to demoralize a society, this is what you would do. Just saying. So to tie that to what you were just saying, Charles, I think that that's exactly right. I think, and it is very specifically tied to the power and influence of the media in particular, 
Because if you don't want to allow a group of the population to grow in confidence, to grow in uh, unity, to be to feel empowered, to feel enfranchised, to feel capable of participating fully in society, if you don't want them to feel that way, then you are going to effectively crucify the examples who are at the forefront uh, of driving that change, whether it's in the U.S., if it's the the backlash against uh, Barack Obama and his wife and, and what the Orange Cheeto did afterwards, or if it's with Megan and how she's been treated as, as, a, as a result. And so it's almost as if they're trying to deflate that progression. They're trying to stop that progress for large swaths of the population. That makes sense to me. I mean, if you're looking at it and you're looking at it in that lens, in that point of view, it all makes sense. And I have no reason to not believe that is the case based on what we see is happening in front of us. But I want to throw you guys a different ball, a different curve. Is it very easy for people to actually make it more about race when maybe perhaps it's really not because that is something that they know they can control, right? And the reason why I say this, it was, if you looked at England, what is happening in the world, you specifically England, that was becoming really sort of a place of so many biracial people there. Like the face of England is changing. And so if you think that, you know what, is it the problem is with England changing, even though many people will say this, but in particularly of the monarchy itself, that's overrules of all this commonwealth. Is it possible that a part of it is the fact that, you know what, they see the Dutchess much more as a threat, not so much just, you know, maybe her race, what's that mean? I don't know. But it will straighten Charles. Because if you are going to try to get Charles by itself, if you if you are trying to remove the Windsors, we already know how strong Harry is and they've been trying to destroy this man for a very, very long time. And have not been able to do so. Now you introduce a woman that is not the other brother's wife. And those two can change so many things. Even make Charles look good. Is it possible it was easier to make it much more about race? But really, it's a way for them to be able to continue working. And I'm going to tell you the reason why I'm coming to this, to this point right here. Because I'm looking at it. None of these people are looking good. I can get it that, you know what, okay, you know, if you're going to make it a race, but there's a unity here. There's something like, you know what, yes, this is how we feel. This is how we believe. This is what it is. 
But I feel like there is something more at play here because the reality is they are not protecting Charles. They're not going out of their way to actually make the monarchy looking good at no point. Not even, you know, Harry's brother, not Harry's brother's wife. Nobody is looking good. The only person, again, that seems standing up very strong. It's this woman that we know we barely know anything about and we're about to get in into a coronation. Well, to that end, I think you have to boil it up a little bit higher. And while I completely understand and see your point about race, and it's an interesting thing to think about, but I think it's something that's bundled together with it. I think it's boils up to power. It boils up to control. And being willing to do whatever it takes to get it. From the longest time, and I like history, and so I could talk about this forever, but the longest time, the, the, the easiest thing you could possibly say is to control someone or to control a group of people, it's all about divide and conquer. In order to control the masses, you must separate them into individual groups and then take them out one at a time. That's long ago military history. And I think that what we have here is the face that by being able to, you have a center of power that's based on old white money. And then you have a threat to that established order that's coming really fast and really hard and exemplified. I think what George, I think, phrased quite well and eloquently kind of explained is that you have this embodiment of what this new kind of power look and um, could be, which would be in Megan, which would be in Barack, which would be in these other kind of exalted figures that we kind of have out there running. And then you have the threat against it. And so the threat against kind of the established power. Now, the easiest way to deal with that is that go back to the old standby, which you basically have race and you kind of knock that down. And then you knock basically also kind of the threat to that current power struggle there. But I think to your point about, okay, well, that only solves half the argument because you now at this point, you've only really kind of done away with Megan. What about why they're knocking Charles and Willie and everybody else down too? That doesn't make any sense. But it's also a question of, okay, well, who's looking for power? To George's point, it's about, it's a zero sum game. Some have it, you have to take it from others. And so going back in terms of what's the end game, Perhaps the end game is basically now that the long established power of Elizabeth is gone, maybe what the media can do and kind of those who own the media can do is that now they can just, they, they have a clear eyed target about how to actually hit everyone else out too. So they can take the opportunity to kind of knock away Megan and then use that same club in order to bash everyone else who's basically within the established power I, as well. I agree with this argument, but it still doesn't answer. The question is, it's not like, okay, you know what? We're going after Harry and Meghan and we're going to make all these people look good to protect them, to make sure that we protect them. So to pretty much like show a difference. This is not is what's happening here. 
And there is one thing that I find really interesting. And as you saying that, listening to Harry, when I'm not, you know, right now, because again, I have not got any sleep. I can't really think. But one of his, you know, um, thing that he was talking about in order to destroy something, I think it was an advice giving to him. You must be able to see it. And I think that was the time that when he was talking about the war. So for me, is is that, you know what? Are these people so eager to destroy? They don't even really care of what that is doing. They're willing to put the money. They're willing to risk it all. Because the vision of removing the Windsor. Or changing whatever it is that they try to do. Because let, let, let just say the argument was because that, you know, they want to be a republic, right? That they want to be a president. Like, I would like to see there is a, beside the people on the street, that's where they are moving. So it doesn't seem to be that is the reason why. So if it's not the reason why they're not supporting what is happening on the street, they are not supporting you know, sort of people that, you know, who are against the monarchy. That's not what I'm seeing, at least in my point of view and, and my opinion. Right. And so the whole let's bash Harry, let's bash Meghan, which even though we know who these people, what they are doing for the country. We're not protecting Charles because we're not, we don't have time to make Charles look good based on everything that's been reported, whether it's the money thing that, you know, we heard about that, you know, him, you know, accepting money or whether it's, it's sort of all these different things that, you know, what we've been hearing that when you're wondering why, why this is out one, two, why is it that, you know, any of anybody that worked for him allowed him to compromise himself like that. I don't care how stubborn he is. I don't care, you know, sort of like there is something that is not making any sense. So for me, the question is, and then you're looking at this woman that was about to become, you know, queen consort and to go even further that who, let's just put it out there. Are we done now with the so-called protocol? Are we done with that? Because we should not go back to protocol thing. Because I feel like in the last few weeks or months, every protocol had been broken, right? From what happened at the Commonwealth. From now we hear what she's choosing is to have her grandkids to be a part of this is great. I, I get it. But we're talking about breaking from protocol of what Duke, I mean, Dutchies used to do, you know, used to have to do. Well, just to pause on that, because it's not even just that she wants to involve her grandkids and okay, fine, whatever. It's not, it's right. It's literally injecting her grandkids who are not royal into not just the coronation, but the most sacred aspect of the coronation, coronation, according to their own uh, customs, based upon which they claim divine right to rule, the the most sacred part of that ceremony has been handed away from other ro other royalty to her grandkids, just on a whim. Yeah, that's this crazy. Is, <laughs> this this is not some like family reunion or like Easter dinner where you pass over who's going to cut the turkey. 
This is like a serious, serious thing. It is holding the canopy while the they are anointed. the The act that is actually giving them the the divine credibility, the divine authority, the divine right. That part of that process has just been handed to. Camilla's grandkids. Right. And, you know, if we were to, and then there's no sight of all the duchies. There's no sight of the kids, you know, his grandkids. And so for me, is that, you know what? How is King Charles, it's entering his kingdom, whatever you want to call it, that way. And I mean, let's just, I mean, we hear Jamaica. It's not, is introducing. They're on legislation, I think. We have Canada, I think, is one out of five people. One out. So where is his strength is coming from? Does he have any? And what does he think? How he thinks about the church? Where are we, people? What, what, what is happening? What is it that I'm not seeing? What is it that I'm actually missing? And that is for all of you, even you, Sussex Nation. I want, please educate me. I am, I'm curious. Because this is for all of us that who are here, who have families that who are from the Commonwealth, who either have worked there, and love all these places. What does that mean for them? For me. For all of us. Where are we? What is going on? Yeah, I mean, just to very quickly go back to your question before about whether or not the the race side of things was um, was a means to an end. I think... And I agree with both of what you said and as well as what Charles said. And I think it seems clear anyway, based on the full picture of what's going on in, in global society today, that the use of race and identity politics generally is both substantive and strategic. And I mean that to say that there are aspects of it where people certainly genuinely feel those things. I mean, racism is not just, oh, a convenient mechanism. It's real. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I don't want anybody to think that, you know what, I'm not, I'm saying absolutely. Right, oh my exactly. God. No, you're saying, that, that's, yeah. that, that's what you're saying. But yeah. it's also, to your point, it's also doesn't, and, and how, how Charles put it perfectly as well, it doesn't really answer the full question of what's happening right, right now and why Charles looks so terrible. Um, and it goes back to the why being, okay, well, who doesn't have power? Who's trying to get power? But if you look at it and if you look at the mechanism by which that power is being exerted, it is certainly through the media. It is way, the way in which he is portrayed. And we were just talking about uh, leading up to today's service, this um, what's apparently being labeled by the media as a protest. Um, but we all agree here that I think it was Duchess of Success did an excellent job yeah. uh, talking about it and kind of laying it out the how much of a farce it actually is. And we don't we agree with you, Duchess of Success, and it certainly doesn't look. We don't think you're being a crazy conspiracist because that's actually what it looks like. It looks like this so-called so protest by this so-called group, the Republic, mm -hmm. looks completely staged for them to have gotten the access to Westminster that they got for those. If photographs that is a real pictures, right? Uh, this is all all alleged, right? Based on just what we can see in the media. Just the media itself, but that 
makes him look so bad. It makes Charles look so incredibly bad. Um, and the when you look at not just the effect that it has on Charles, you also look at the effect it has on the monarchy as a whole. And when you dig into it just a little bit and you look at how it's actually being reported on by the media, it's it's so striking if you're paying attention because you see the very first place they go with using their talking heads, in this case, again, Piers Morgan, is that it's immediately directed to be something that lies at the feet of Harry and Meghan. As if Harry and Meghan's goal had been to uh, abolish the monarchy or to get rid of Charles, which is completely untrue. And if anyone actually takes the time to listen to Harry and how he feels about his father, how he feels about the monarchy, he is completely at odds with the idea of just getting rid of it. It's not, it's not what his goal is. It's not what Meghan's goal is, but there's clearly a force at work that is trying to make it look as if it is their actions and their intention to do that. So if it does happen, oh, look, here's a complete convenient people for us to go and blame. Which is one of the things that, you know, we say in our early podcast, right? So, I mean, if we can do that, because I just don't understand. I don't know what the play is, because it's like for all of us to see what is really happening. And again, I don't want to sort of make it seem as if like race is not an issue. It's obviously we live it and we deal with it in every day. But I am just saying, is there something much more at play? And then, of course, the way to go, it's to use because what else are you going to use? I, the woman was incredibly smart, which is the Duchess of Sussex. She's a very well accomplished woman. You literally have nothing. I mean, they try. It's not like it's, it's not like they didn't try. So what else do you have but race? And not to saying that, you know what, even if they didn't make it about that, that he would not be, because there's always people that's going to feel like somehow you don't deserve to be there, that you shouldn't be there. I am just saying is, is that, you know what, if you can keep Harry away, whether it's from his brother, whether it's from his father, for everything that he's offered, for everything that he brings into the table and went and, and pretty much get like one of the smartest women in the world that could have taken them to the next level. Why this happened? And yet now we are hearing how the king's wife, queen consort, her children is studying being talked about. And full disclosure here, I don't really particularly even have a problem as a mother that he's tried to ensure everything amazing for his kids. This is not my point here. I don't have a problem with that. I don't have a problem that, you know, hey, you know what? You, you, you want security for your kids. But how could we a lot in one hand, we a lot that we'd say it's okay. And then yet we have those two incredible people. That was doing probably more than anybody else. And those are the ones that you know we are tearing. So to me, that is my question here. 
what is more that we are not seeing? What is it that, you know, we're not understanding? I know all, everything we say is alleged and speculations and it's our opinion. But is there something that, you know, we're missing? Oh, God. Um, Charles, you will read this amazing um, poem by Monica Zhang. And the name of the poem is Empty Words. I think it's a very beautiful poem. And we'll come back and close out the show after listening to this really wonderful song, also by the name of Empty Words. Sure. So here it goes. It's actually, it's, it's quite nice. So again, the poem is called Empty Words. Can words be empty? As much as you say them, sometimes I believe you. And sometimes you give me so much reason not to. So sweet and seemingly pure, just for you to do exactly what you promise not to do. I look at you with a pleading gaze, but you turn away from me without a second glance. Even though you came back to me, there's still that gaping hole in the middle of my chest. I want to desperately fill with your love, with your hugs, with your presence. But how can I believe you? How can I know the things that you say aren't just empty words? How do I know it's not just honey, but the truth? You're too bright. You're needed from others. I'm not. You're the only one who's seen me my raw form, my dark soul, my lost heart. You are the one who've delved into the pit with me, but it scared you, if only temporarily. You fit into crowds with ease. People pull you away from me into a space I can't reach into. And yet I don't want to stay away. Just stay by my side, even if it's empty words. We want to walk with you and talk with you, not miss a single thing you do. Just learn the where and how you want to move. We want to take the time to hear your heart, get to know the friend you are, partner with the things you want to do. We're not satisfied with empty words, not satisfied with playing church. We want a real encounter. We want a real encounter. We won't settle for a lukewarm faith. We're living for the face to face. We want a real encounter. We want a
Up every table of religiousness Till holiness is all that's left Just worshippers in spirit and in truth Oh yes And tear down the altars of self-righteous plans The idols built to fear of man That lie I have to work my way to you Flip every table of religiousness Till holiness is all that's left Just worshippers in spirit and in truth yes. And we're not satisfied with empty words Not satisfied with playing church We want a real encounter We want a real encounter We won't settle for a lukewarm faith We're living for the face to face We want a real encounter We want a real encounter All that I want All that I want Is you, Jesus Only Jesus can bring More than my words But all of my heart To you, Jesus Only Jesus And we're not satisfied With empty words Not satisfied With plain church We want to My goodness, those are not just amazing words from both front. The poem, the songs. What did you guys think? What are your thoughts? Well, for me, um, I think the song and, and the poem, I think both of them and the message feels even more resonant having spare and everything that Harry said and felt about his father, and just in the at the top of my head, it um, it it lands a little bit differently with that. Yeah, I would agree. Um, to your point, having having listened to spare on the way down, and having it just be on the front part of your brain, um, it certainly gives it more context than uh, I would have had otherwise. So I think it's very poignant. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just, um, I was moved by the words. I was because I could see Harry. I could f almost feel like feel his heart. I could see our beautiful duchess and I could see their family, the beautiful family. And the fact that they all continue doing incredible, amazing work and what that will mean for them. And then the fact is the media is not letting them do that. The fact is, is that they're not allotting them to just be. 
And to me, to me, when I listen to the song and I hear those words, it's it just I imagine, you know, them actually saying these things, acting this thing. And in fact, I think in 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 some of my interviews that Harry said, you know, look, I want a family, not an institution. To me, that's very powerful. And that lead me to our last word that I have for Robert Johnson. Jobson. Jobson, Jumpson, Jobson. You know, at this point, I have really no respect for the men, to be honest. For the job and the title, the dare of him calling himself a journalist. Because for many things that I hear, he could have been great. He could have been wonderful. And this period of times that you see a glimpse of that. And I don't understand that he makes a statement which, when I hear it, it just like that tightened chest to make and feel like I'm getting sick. To be joking. About sort of, well, maybe that, you know, um, they should hold Archie over the balcony and say happy birthday. And because I was listening to Baron, you know how much I love this man. Um, and his show was incredible. And it was just like, like when I hear that, because he was playing the clip. And I was listening to it like I couldn't even finish listening to the word before I was like almost like like I literally feel sick in my stomach because it seems like it's a common theme of throw them over the balcony, you know, sort of. And then now that, you know, hold the baby on his birthday. And what does that mean? Those are real people that were having threat on their lives. This is sickening me, guys. Please say something. Like, I literally feel sick on my stomach. Yeah, I mean, it was beyond callous. And actually just, it was deplorable. It was callous. It was tasteless. And um, and he knew it. Like, they all knew it. What was probably the most disconcerting thing about the entire clip was how everybody was just basically laughing about it. Making like, it a joke like as it, it like it's a, about like it's know, such so, a funny thing. Like and it's Michael just Jackson. Yeah. Like, well, that's the thing that they're trying to. It is deplorable, but they're what they're trying to do is to normalize that and to make that acceptable. To be saying that you know what, while holding down the balcony like Michael Jackson, and was something that was really, from what I understand, frightened people because the baby could have fall at that moment. I don't know which one of the kids that 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 happened. And for you to have that suggestion specifically after we hear the other man had saying that, you know, well, you know, that maybe somebody will throw them down the balcony. Mm -hmm. I'm paraphrasing here. Like, it just makes me sick in my stomach. The fact that, you know, this is where our news is. 
people that will call themselves that should be responsible for their words. They should never become the news. They should be reporting the news. Well, I have good news for you, Lady Sussex. Please, I need it. And it's actually not even my news. It's just to go again to one of the lovely comments that we received. Um, it's Marsha Ogletree. And to me, it, it feels like a fitting way to start the, the ending of the, of the service anyway. Marsha said, Lady Sussex. That's perfect. She actually was addressing you too. She said, Lady Sussex, you keep forgetting that Jesus is love. And so we win because of faith. So checkmate media. <laughs> I agree. hundred percent agree. We have to believe in that love. How do you live that love? And again, we have to thank two commenters, more than I think, more than two commenters, uh, but at least two, both Angela Simmons and Bonnie Mighty, who called out these verses from Ephesians, which we've used in places, but it feels like it's time to really read the, the full thing. Um, because yes, love wins, but it's not without our action and that, uh, that lived faith. So we'll read Ephesians 11 through, I believe 24. <clears throat> Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, and have on the breastplate, breastplate of righteousness." and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly, as I ought to speak. But that ye may also know my affairs, and how I do, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord shall make known to you all things, whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that ye might know our affairs, and that he might comfort your hearts. Peace be to the brethren, and love with faith, from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with them all that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. 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 And so, thank you so much, Charles, George, for joining me again on this happy Sunday. We are now a few weeks to the coronation and we have to press on, move on and pray for the royals, pray for the people who are suffering, for the squads, the supporters, for the world really. So thank you so much for joining us this Sunday.
as we're moving forward to our last song. And I hope you guys stay in worship with us. Happy Sunday. Have a good day. Please stay safe. Take care of your mental health. Bye. God bless anything tested. Don't say Jesus Christ said the best every time. No, all the Muslims and all the crew. Remember, Mr. Dion, them down for Jesus Christ. Lift them high. And not the earth of Christ. Bust the place. Bust the place. No, no, no. Mercy. Yeah. This song right here is dedicated to all my people that felt like giving up and you didn't think we was going to make it. Bless them all the time. Check it out, y'all. And not the earth of Get up! Get up! Get up! Y'all.